This is episode number 234, Life Lessons from Cyclocross Champion and Mom Nikki Bramier. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. I think that's one thing being an athlete teaches you is you learn to read your own body quite well. Your mental well-being is important and your baby senses that that time away, just those few hours away on your bike or going for a run or doing something for yourself is so important for you to be the best mum you can be because you come back and you're probably more full of energy and ready to give your all. And I'm really excited about today's guest, Nikki Bramer, because she is an inspiration to me personally and has accomplished so much and she is certainly inspiring. I hope you all have been having an incredible week and are having lots of fun adventures. I haven't been having that many outdoor adventures lately. I have been getting out running and mostly riding the trainer using the Sufferfest app from Wahoo Fitness. And if you want to give it a try, you can use the code SONYA60, and that's my name in all caps, 60, to get two months for free in addition to their 14-day trial. And if you're already an existing member or user, you can use that code and get a free two months in addition to what you're already doing. It's been really interesting to add in running this year as cross-training because most years I have stage races in another hemisphere in the, at this time of year. But due to the pandemic and the fact that I have little Bradley right now, I am not racing. <laughs> most people are not racing at the moment. So it gave me a little bit of freedom to play around with my training this winter. And that's a freedom that I haven't had in the past. So I am riding my bike less days per week. And what that's doing is it's actually making me enjoy riding my bike more. I pretty much have been riding my bike six days a week since 2003. So having a little bit of time away from the bike and a little bit of freedom to really explore a new sport and have to adapt and see gains from that adaptation is fun. And it's also really humbling. And it's also just making me really appreciate riding my bike again. And if you've been feeling blah, it could be the pandemic, but it could be that some of your biomarkers in your blood are off. And Inside Tracker is our podcast sponsor, and they are awesome. They're a company I've been using for years to check in on myself. And especially whenever I first made changes to my diet to become plant-based, I would want to check things like vitamin B12 or iron or other things like that. And It's been really cool to have that reassurance to see that everything that I'm doing not only is working, but it's helping me be at my very, very best. But if you're feeling a little bit off or you just want to optimize your nutrition and your performance, check out Inside Tracker. Go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia. And if you use that link and it's also in the show notes, you get 25% off everything that they offer. Inside Tracker is blood work with really interesting concrete science-backed trackable data so that you can use nutrition to reach your performance goals. And there are many different options that you can choose from to define what those goals are. Most of the time when you go to the doctor to get blood work, it just has a range for sick or healthy, not optimal for athletes. And Inside Tracker uses this patented algorithm to analyze your body's data and offer you a clearer picture of what's going on inside the hood. So go to insidetracker.com slash Sonia to get 25% off for my listeners. And that's a really generous offer from them. So let's get into talking about Nikki. You probably know Nikki Bramier as a cyclocross champion. And she had her first baby during the lockdown of 2020. Nikki has stood on many World Cup cyclocross podiums, 12 to be exact and has been British national champion across multiple disciplines of cycling and has had great success in road racing as well. She's also a coach and founder of her coaching company, Mudita Coaching. She says, my aim is to inspire, coach, and mentor the next generation of cyclists using my past experience, creating happy, healthy bike riders. Nikki was somebody that I was really inspired by when I was pregnant because she continued running and riding while she was pregnant and her daughter is several months older than my son, Bradley. Not only is she an absolutely dynamite, amazing cyclist, she's also an incredible mom. Something I really appreciate about Nikki is how she just tells it all. She just says it like it is, and she doesn't try to 
portray a different image and she just shares her experience. And I truly believe that vulnerability is the way forward. It's the way to build community. It's the way to help others. And I really appreciated hers. In this podcast, we talked about three key elements to becoming a cyclocross champion. And I'll give those away. Those are resilience, support, and passion. We talked about how to avoid burnout as a cyclist. And she did so many different disciplines of cycling and she was able to avoid burnout. We talked about Nikki's decision to retire from cycling, which I'm sure was not an easy decision. We talked about pregnancy, breastfeeding, fluctuating hormones as an athlete and as a mom, how Nikki handled training as a pregnant athlete. And I know many people listening come here because they want information. How do I be a pregnant athlete? How do I be a new mom and have a baby? And that's something that I've covered a lot on this show. And if you want more information and access to all of my resources, just go to sonyalooney.com slash blog, and there's a drop-down menu, Parenthood and Pregnancy, and you'll get access to all the articles I've written and all the guests that I have have interviewed relating to this topic. We talked about postpartum healing, body image, and resilient parenting. And I think that all of these topics are so incredibly important because nobody really talks about them, and they are becoming more and more part of the mainstream. But I can't tell you how many women have reached out to me saying, I was afraid to have a baby because I was afraid I would lose my identity. I was afraid I wouldn't be able to exercise while pregnant. I was afraid of how I could come back to sport. And Nikki is such an incredible example of this. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Here is Nikki. Welcome to the show, Nikki. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to having a chat. It takes me away from baby duties of cleaning nappies and cleaning the house and feeding and everything else. So yeah, it'd be nice to have a chat. Yeah, it seems like having time to clean the house is always a challenge as a new mom. Yeah, just one of the many challenges I feel. But in, yeah. in a good way, it's just trying to find that kind of balance with everything, isn't it? Yeah. How old is Ida at the moment? She turned one two weeks ago. All right. So yeah, Happy we celebrated birthday. her first birthday in lockdown. <laughs> That's right. So what was that like? Um, we're going to get more into the parenthood in a little bit, but what was it like having a baby and then lockdown happening like when you had a young baby? Yeah, it was quite difficult because I feel like when lockdown happened, we were kind of just finding a rhythm a little bit. Like um, we were just getting out more, going to some like mother baby groups and, you know, just kind of getting out. And it was an age where she started to explore a lot more. I think she would have been like five months at the time, four or five months. And I felt it was a point where I was getting a bit of freedom back. And then, yeah, lockdown happened and it kind of just stopped everything. Um, and I think just it was quite hard just not having like family and friends around and everything. I'm sure you've been the same. Yeah, actually, Bradley was born. It was like the day after he was born, the hospital went into lockdown mode. Like as we were leaving, they weren't allowing any more visitors in. So it was right in the nick of time, I guess. Yeah, it was lucky in a way then, I guess, for you to just have him then. And then did you have like quite a bit of support afterwards at that time? Or was it kind of kind of left to your own devices? Or uh, I was definitely left to my own devices. Like initially, my husband had planned to take a month off of work or to be at least working part time. But because of my husband's a financial planner. So after what happened with the world economy at that time, his work got really crazy with every single client wanting to talk to him. So yeah, the first couple of weeks of uh, Bradley's life were pretty intense. <laughs> yeah, because it always you really just need that support and stuff. You know, those first few weeks, yeah, it's just a whirlwind, isn't it? It's just a crazy time. Um, what was that like for you? Yeah, yeah like I couldn't have done without like some support. It, it was difficult. I think it was it was good. Like we kind of just kind of brought Ida home. I had a really good birth. Um, like everything went as best as it could have gone like I had such a positive birth story which I was so happy about um, and she was healthy and I bought her home and it was like okay now what like what do we do now <laughs> and you're just kind of thrown into this whirlwind aren't you and we're quite lucky in the UK because we have a lot of like breastfeeding support and you know health visitors will come every couple of days to see how we're getting on but without them, I think I would have really struggled just to know that they were coming every couple of days really just made me feel supported. And um, like I always had someone to chat to, which was, yeah, I think it's so important. Yeah, that was definitely a challenge for me because I had a doula and a midwife because I wanted that additional support after Bradley was born. And because of the lockdown, you couldn't get that support. It would be like a, a meeting on the phone or something like that. Or the, his first appointment was at the house, but it was a very short, like fully 
in the full garb. But, you know, I think having the internet is something that's really helpful as long as you aren't getting stuck down these search engine holes of like everything being bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because everything is just so new and it's just, yeah, you're learning, obviously the baby's learning, you know, you, you're creating this bond together. And as a family, it's like an amazing time because you do get this special time together, but at the same time, the extra bit of support from the outside if you need it, which is, yeah, something that I really feel every mum needs. So let's kind of back up a, a few steps. You just mentioned you liked having support and a team around you. And I'm sure that that is also something that was helpful for you in your career. Um, you've had an incredible career across multiple disciplines of cycling. And people most notably know you from cyclocross, but you've done uh, mountain biking and road racing. And and you've been cycling since the age of five. So I wanted to ask you, what are if you had to pick three top components to becoming a bike racer or an accomplished bike racer, what would those three things be? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I think definitely one would be resilience, like just not giving up, just having this deep drive to just keep going no matter what, because you're always going to have setbacks and it's kind of learning that that's always going to happen in life and it's how you overcome them. And I think, yeah, resilience is definitely one of them. Probably another one is is just to have support around you. I think having like a good support network around you is is key to kind of being a successful bike rider because you know, you need people around you to support you and, you know, you are going to have good times and bad times and you want them there through all of that. So just having a good network around you of people that you can trust and rely on is something else. And yeah, I think just a passion and being happy about what you're doing. I think that's another thing is just embracing everything and just kind of taking every opportunity that, that comes your way. Yeah. And just, and just enjoying the moment. And did having those three things help prevent burnout because that's a really long time to be cycling and burnout is something that can happen kind of insidiously it kind of sneaks up on you at times yeah it can and I think I think having done a quite a few different disciplines I think that stopped me from burning out because I think if I think if I did just one discipline then I think it would have just become overwhelming and just too much you know I don't think I could spend 15 years being a professional at one discipline I think you know breaking it up and doing all those different disciplines really just allowed me to kind of just explore different areas and test myself, keep pushing myself, meet different people. Everything was always new and, and different. And I think that's what helps kind of, yeah, just keep motivation there. I mean, there was definitely times where I lost motivation or, you know, there's times when I just thought, is this really worth it? Can I keep going? But then, yes, another opportunity comes along and you just embrace it and just, yeah, see where it takes you. Yeah, so you sort of have to be flexible enough to want to take a new opportunity because it's hard to kind of let go of the thing that was working so well for you and to kind of go off in a different direction. Yeah, I think that definitely happened when I started doing cyclocross kind of properly when I was like 23 years old. Before that, I had done track and mountain bike road cross, but it was only kind of just, yeah, it, it was never taking it seriously. And then when I went to Belgium and kind of really got into the cross world and started kind of yeah spent my whole life you know for probably for like four or five years doing cyclocross that was my focus and then it was I think 2000 end of 2015 where I was like okay I've been quite successful in cross maybe I should go and try and be a road rider and maybe I could get to the Olympic Games like the, the Olympics is next year this is what I was thinking at the time and I want to experience some races like some classic races on the road Um, how can I do it I need to get in a road team and luckily enough like I got in Bowles Dolmans through through my results from cyclocross because they wanted a cross rider and road rider and then I just took opportunities and then went to the Olympic Games and I think that was a moment that was quite good for me because it gave me another passion it gave me a bit more passion again and yeah I think all those times when you're just kind of thinking oh what's my next goal what's my next goal sometimes it's hard to find in the, in the same discipline so I think looking out at different disciplines helps you kind of find motivation again. And you said that the Olympic Games was a goal that you had set for yourself and you went, which is really, really amazing and such a huge commitment to hard work. But how do you go about setting goals? Because a lot of times or most of the time, especially in sports psychology, we hear we should be setting process oriented goals. But the goal of going to the Olympics is an outcome based goal. So how did you balance that? I think I always just tried not to think too like long term. Like when I say I wanted to go to the Olympics, it was kind of like a dream that I'd always had in the back of my head. 
but it was never something that I kind of focused on too much. It was always like, oh, I'd love to do that, but I don't think it'll ever happen. But I'm just going to keep cycling and, you know, you never know what's going to happen in the future. And when I signed for Bowles Dolmens, my kind of, you know, I, I really wanted to do the classics on the road. So the Olympic Games was that year. But I thought, OK, if I can kind of prove myself in classics, be a strong team player, kind of learn from the other girls, you know, try and help them win races, learn as much as I can. then maybe some opportunities will come where I get the I can go to the Olympics. Like I just didn't know at that time. But I think just focusing on the short term really allowed me to just not kind of get carried away on, on the bigger picture almost. And how did you balance the identity of like being somebody who's achieving all the time, you know, getting results and being a cyclist? Because all of us that are racing and even people that ride their bike all the time, it's a very firmly rooted identity of cyclists or that being part of the identity. How did you connect with the identity underneath what made you a cyclist? Like you're a cyclist, but you're so much more than a cyclist. So how did you sort of disconnect from I'm only a cyclist to I'm a whole person? Yeah, it was quite difficult. I think that only really came about at the Olympic Games. Actually, I met Christine Keim, the psychologist, probably, I'm sure you know her. Mm-hmm. But she, yeah, basically, she, I chatted to her a lot about kind of not just looking at myself as a cyclist. That I was more than that. I was a, a person as well. And I have these other goals and dreams and you know I have a life outside cycling and I think tapping into that and you know learning to switch off when you're not at a race or you know when you're not training you know going out for a coffee with friends or going out on date night or you know all those things she kind of taught me how to have more of a balance in what I was doing rather than just being focused on cycling and then kind of after the Olympics I again was at a point where I lost a bit of the passion in cycling and I think it was just through working with her that came back because it allowed me to kind of find a better balance in what I was doing and yeah just start being a bit happier and, and more grateful of of all these opportunities that were coming my way. Yeah I think that's something so interesting about being a professional athlete is that a lot of people that have other jobs you hear well don't take your work home with you but when you're a professional cyclist you have to live an entire lifestyle you can't just switch off completely after your ride is done you still have to be worried about nutrition and rest and sleep and all these other things and I think that that's a real challenge because you can't completely just disassociate from it but you also have to be able to turn it off enough where you can rest your brain and not be completely sick of it or overwhelmed by it or consumed by it yeah definitely and I think it was also made harder by the fact that my husband Matt he was a professional cyclist as well so we were both kind of just in that bubble of you know cycling all our friends were cyclists and we just kind of yeah just had to kind of disassociate away from that a little bit because it was just it was just getting too much it was just like becoming too much for us both so I think um yeah working with Kristen that allowed me to find more of a balance outside of cycling and just kind of yeah think about opportunities of you know what might happen in the future make me think a little bit about what might happen after I stop cycling because I think we can be quite short-sighted in just thinking racing is is forever and that's what we're going to do. And I think you always have to think it's going to be a life after sport. You do need to retire one day and, and what's what's going to happen in that part of your life. Yeah, and Chris Kime is so awesome. She was actually my very first podcast guest and she's been on another time and I was working with her for quite a while as well. So she's she's done so many amazing things for the sport and for many athletes outside of cycling as well. Yeah, she really has. I honestly thank her to like for me finding my passion again the last couple of years of my career and kind of yeah giving me the confidence to to throw everything at that last year I was racing and and finish feeling proud of my career and kind of having drawn a line underneath under it, thinking okay that's what I did then and this is what I'm going to do now. How did you make that decision that it was time to retire? Because it it seems like you can keep racing for a really, really long time and making that decision can be a really hard one for a lot of people. Definitely. And I mean, I still have to, I admit, like still now, I always think, oh God, I really miss racing so much. What Maybe I could go back, maybe I could come out of retirement and have one more season. And I think it is a difficult thing to do because like for me, it was my whole life pretty much since I'd finished school, since I was 16, I turned professional like 18 19 years old living that life and 
you don't realize how lucky that life is until you kind of are, are away from it. You know, how privileged you were just to be able to travel around freely, be free, kind of go to all these competitions, travel around the world, go to these events. It was like amazing. And to step away from that is is a hard decision. And even now I do struggle with it, kind of just accepting that that life is finished and I've got a different life now and it's it's a lot different. There's a lot more, you know, a lot of more positives have come from that, but also I do miss my old life. But I think probably my husband helped me quite a lot come to that decision of just, you know, retiring and kind of looking ahead to family and family is something that I really felt strongly about. And, you know, I'd love to have three children. So I didn't want to wait too long to take that risk and like not be able to have that. So yeah, it was, it just felt like the right time to do, to retire when I did. And what do you think about still racing, like going in and doing races, but not doing it like at the same level that you were? Is that something you'd be able to do? I think so. I think it's when I retired last year and then got pregnant, I always said, oh, when, when I've had Ida, I want to race cross again, like in the UK, I want to go to some local events and just turn up and have fun. I'll, I'll still ride my bike, even though I won't be racing professionally it's still a part of me and I still love riding my bike and racing so I think it's just unfortunate that we've been in COVID this year Mm -hmm. so you know those events really haven't taken place to be honest so I've not really had that opportunity and I'm still breastfeeding and kind of life is just busy at the moment so I think it's difficult to find time to race but I, I think next year I might yeah. And I just think about what that's like to have been, you know, at the top of your game, going to the Olympics, being like really high up in the World Cup overall. Didn't you, weren't you like second overall in the World Cup for cyclocross one year? Yeah, a couple of years I finished second and third overall. Yeah, a few times. Yeah. So just being at that incredibly high level and then knowing that you're not going to be able to train at the same level that you were and then going to a race, knowing that you used to ha- be at a certain point and then you may or may not be there with the amount of work that you had to put back in. Like what, what does that feel like whenever you think about that? I think because I know how much I did when I was uh, racing professionally, like I know how many hours I spent on the bike. I know kind of what my life was and I know what my life is now. I think I'd been more accepting of it because I know that to be that person, I had to sacrifice a lot more and my life is different now. I've got a baby, like a, a young baby girl and I just, I think I'd be proud to, to see Ida at the side of the, you know, the side of the race course, being able to shout a mum on. And yeah, I'd kind of have to put my ego to the side a little bit and think, okay, Nikki, you're not a professional cyclist anymore. You're just going to turn up and have fun on your bike and trying to disassociate myself away from that person I was. Otherwise, it'd just be too hard. And I'd just be like so critical of myself and thinking, oh, I should be going better and stuff. But I just know what I'm doing now is nowhere near what I was doing when I was a professional cyclist. So I think you just have to be a bit kind to yourself. Yeah, it sounds like you actually... at least that's what I'd try and do. It sounds like you put a lot of thought into like what this means to you and like what bike racing means to you and what it means to be a mom and having a life change. And it takes a lot of time and being honest with yourself to rem- remember all those things. Yeah, I think it's, it is it is difficult. And I think I do spend a lot of time thinking about it because... I still have those times where I miss that life so much. But at the same time, I feel guilty for thinking those things because I should just be happy with her. I'm at now. I've got this beautiful little girl and, you know, I'm doing everything for her and being trying to be the best mum I can be. But I think just the athlete in me still, I always want to do everything to the best of my abilities or everything 100%. So it's trying to just kind of, yeah, be a little bit kind to myself and stop putting so much pressure on everything that I do and just, seeing this amazing little human I've created and just that being enough. So it sounds like you've kind of wrestled with mom guilt a little bit and trying to just grant yourself the fact that you're doing enough and you're doing the best that you can and that has to be good enough. But that's that's really hard to do. (laughs) It seems like it's I I feel that same way. I feel that same way. Like some days like, oh, I feel so guilty when I want to leave because I, I I feel like I should be there but then I know that I'm going to be the best version of myself whenever I come back and it's a fine line between how much yeah how much away time you should have yeah it really is but I think you know yourself you know I think that's one thing being an athlete teaches you is you learn to read your own body quite well and I think just your mental well-being is is important and you know your baby senses that and I think 
that time away, just that you're those few hours away on your bike or, you know, going for a run or doing something for yourself is so important for you to be like the best mum you can be because you come back and you're probably more full of energy and ready to give your all. And, you know, I'm sure the baby doesn't, wouldn't even care that you're away for a couple of hours if you come back and you're the best mum you can be and you're happy for it. That's all that matters. Yeah, but it is it, hard. It is, it is hard not to have that guilt. And you mentioned resilience being one of your top strengths as a racer. And being a resilient parent is something that is really important as well. And overcoming mom guilt and getting out and you know, doing things for you is part of being a resilient parent so that you can continue showing up as your best. So that that's great that you can connect those. Yeah, it definitely is. I think um, it's different now because I'm like, basically I've breastfed Ida since, yeah, since she was born. And at the moment I'm kind of dropping feeds um, the last couple of months. So I'm only feeding her now three times a day and that's opened up. It's good in a way because like it gives me a bit more freedom again so it's nice to have that freedom in the day to kind of, yeah, go and do all the things or, you know, do my coaching work, sit down for a few hours and, and do that and not kind of just have to be always thinking, oh, I need to be back for Ida, I need to feed Ida. But at the same time, that brings a whole new load of guilt to you because you're thinking, oh, I've had this amazing bond with her. And is she just, what is she going to think now I'm out of the house a little bit more or that I'm busy doing something else? But yeah, it's again just, I think there's so many changes when you're a mum, especially in that first year you know, there seems to be like something new every single day going on. And you just, yeah, you just have to kind of go with it and just know that what you're doing is always the best that you can do. I want to talk more about breastfeeding because I feel like this is like the menstrual cycle is becoming less of a taboo subject matter among athletes. But breastfeeding still seems like this thing where it's like, oh, I can't believe you just said the word breastfeeding. What's been that experience for you? Because I'm, I'm, you know, my son is almost nine months old and I'm still breastfeeding him as well. And it's been a really interesting experience. And I'd love to hear what yours was like. Or you're still doing it, but what it's yeah, been I like. Think, um, <laughs> yeah, I think before I had Ida, like breastfeeding, it was like, oh, I'd, I definitely want to breastfeed. I want to, yeah, that's like, that was my dream to breastfeed Ida. But at the same time, I always used to think, oh, I can't imagine feeding a baby. Like, I can't imagine that whole process of how that's going to happen. But then I think, you know, obviously there's people that, that can't do it or people that struggle doing it. Some other people just embrace it and they're able to do it straight away. You know, everybody's got their own story with it. Um, and mine was quite a positive one in the fact that I just had a lot of support after Ida was born and, you know, getting all that, you know, like the latch right and everything and my milk that was like I had enough milk and everything like that. And me and Ida had this bond straight away. So I feel really lucky with it. Everything went quite smoothly. But I had mastitis twice, which was mm -hmm. one of the most painful things I've ever experienced. And so that was quite hard at times because I was having to still feed at the same time. And then obviously sometimes the relentlessness of it just, you know, those first few months, it's just constant, isn't it? Just you feel like you're just tied down to the sofa with this baby just yeah, feed. Yeah, you're trying to give this baby everything and you can't really get enough yourself. You know, you're trying to eat and just trying to give yourself energy and it's just everything just seems to be outweighed and this baby is just having everything from you but then it's kind of I think you find a bit of a rhythm with it and it just becomes more normal and for me I kind of embraced it every time I went out to a little cafe or something I was like I'm proud of what I'm doing so I'm just going to get my boob out but there was definitely some looks of people kind of just like she shouldn't be doing that or I went to um like a yoga class and there was uh this little old lady in there and she was, I thought she was really nice and she came over to me and she said can you not feed your baby there please like it'll put the other customers off and I was just so shocked by that I just didn't know what to say I was like I'm feeding my my little baby I can't move right now like I'll move in a minute and she just like walked off and it made me feel so rubbish but then at the same time I thought well I'm not going to let that one comment you know affect me too much I'm just going to carry on like I'm giving my baby what she needs and that's all that matters but definitely I was like quite shocked with, with that comment. How, how's your breastfeeding journey been? Um, well, because of COVID, I've actually never fed him in public before. <laughs> so I haven't had that experience oh, wow. yet. Yeah, I actually was worried about having to sit still and being mad that I would have to sit still. But I've, I've really enjoyed it. The, the first month was hard because it hurt so bad. Like it felt like razor blades. And I just thought, how am I ever going to get through the pain of this? But now, you know, after a month, it didn't hurt anymore. And it was re it's really fun. And it's amazing that, 
Like your body can do that. But the hardest part for me, and you and I have talked about this offline, is managing my energy because it takes a lot more energy than you think to be a mom and to be breastfeeding and to be, you know, making milk. And you don't realize how many extra calories you need and also how much more rest you might need if you're riding your bike or whatever it is your sport that you're doing. So I've, I've really, initially it was fine. The energy management around that was fine. But I found as Bradley got bigger, it's, it got way more challenging. And there was three months where I felt absolutely awful on my bike to the point where I thought maybe I was pregnant again. And I was doing pregnancy tests worried that, you know, something was up. Oh. But I just wasn't eating enough. I, I, I had to eat an extra thousand calories a day in order to make up for that deficit. And also taking an adaptogen was also like that. That was like flicking on a switch and it, it basically felt like it fixed everything. So it's been interesting. Oh, wow. Yeah, it sounds it. I think I think one thing like as an athlete, you always kind of are, are used to multitasking and just kind of just getting on with a million different things. Um, and I think for me, breastfeeding was just like part of just like the day to day routine. And yeah, like you say, maybe, I don't know, maybe thinking back now, maybe I should have been a bit more aware of, you know, what I was putting into my body. But I think I was so hungry at the time. I didn't think about calories and everything that much. I just ate. If I was hungry, I just ate because if I didn't eat, I'd just become like this mega, yeah, hormonal. Yeah, I just, I just wasn't a nice person. So I think all the time I was just kind of just thinking, okay, I need to eat to feed my baby. But one thing that I've really struggled with is just hormones, like there's fluctuating hormones all the time. Um, and they've been crazy the last couple of months because I feel like I'm going to have my period. Like I feel like I've, my feeds have dropped like with Ida, you know, the last couple of months and I feel like my body's getting ready to have a period and I'm having all those hormones in the background, but I haven't had one yet. And it just feels like I need that for like a release. Like, you know, you've not had a period, well, I've not had a period for probably two years now. So I feel like it's going to be quite a shock for my body when it does happen but it just feels like I'm just constantly up and down at the moment with like crying one minute and then the next minute I'm kind of happy and it's, yeah, I know it's hormone related, but it's just trying to, yeah, it's just trying to not beat myself up about that and just kind of letting that happen. Yeah. Thanks for talking about that. I've also felt similarly in the last couple of months in that I've been, I'm not a moody person, but just more, I just been more irritated by everything. And I, I actually got my period back Bradley was about eight months old, I think. I've had two now. I had one that was very, very light that I almost wasn't sure if that counted. And then I had one full real period. And I noticed that my period has changed after having a baby. Like it, it went longer and it was much heavier than it had been in the past. Maybe that's just the first real period is what that's actually like. It's I'm still learning. But yeah, the hormone part is is really interesting. And also, I don't know about you, but I always like stress out about the milk supply because when he was younger, the milk, there was way more milk. Like I could easily pump six ounces out of one breast. And then I noticed a significant drop um, in, in what I was able to pump. Like he's able to, he'll eat for the same amount of time. And I know there's milk there because I can hear him swallowing, but I'm not able to pump out as much. And that's yeah. really bizarre. So, yeah, I think for everyone, it's just so different, isn't it? And maybe a, a, like a change in hormones does do that for, it might even be like a short amount of time, you know. It's, it's hard to say, isn't it? You know, all these crazy things happening that we've never really experienced before. And I feel like these are things that not many women have spoken about. I feel, you know, there's like a, a massive place for women to kind of open up and talk about this stuff because, yeah, I mean, the amount of Goog like Googling that I've been doing the last few weeks, like, you know, it's probably not the best idea to do that. But just trying to find somebody who's the same as me, who I feel like their hormones are going crazy around, you know, this time when you've been breastfeeding for a year and you're getting your period back and stuff and I don't feel like there's that much information out there about it and it'd just be nice to kind of feel like you wasn't alone yeah yeah so I want to talk about your pregnancy there's not as I'm sure you know there's not a ton of information about how to stay active during your pregnancy and I've tried my best on this podcast to interview experts and talk to other athletic women and get their story out. And I'd love to hear how you approached it and how you felt as a pregnant athletic person and athlete. Yeah. So I got pregnant. I was really lucky. We got pregnant pretty much after the first time we tried. And so, yeah, at the time I was actually training to do the London marathon. 
um, in in my final cross season, I got offered to do. I got offered basically a, a place at the London Marathon, and I'd never done even a half marathon before. But I just thought, yeah, why not? It's for charity. Um, I'll give it a go. It's, it's the end of the cross season, so it's only like a month afterwards. So I'll still I'll still be fit. It'll be fine. Um, so as soon as I did my last race of the cross season, I just started training for the London Marathon. Just you know, started with like five k runs and building those up every week. And then, yeah, when I was found out I was pregnant, I was like, oh, my God, am I still going to be able to run the London Marathon? You know, what can I do? What can't I do? Obviously, Googling starts again and then <laughs> you're kind of reading so many different things. And then, yeah, luckily, I'm close friends with Lizzie Dignan. So mm-hmm. I was straight on the phone to her messaging, like, you know, what can I do? I'm pregnant. <laughs> and she just says, I think the most sensible thing is just you just need to listen to your body. Your body will tell you what to do. And I rarely feel like that's what happened. I think at different stages, you know, I think those that first trimester, I was just so tired. I was just being sick quite a lot of the time. I remember the night before the London Marathon, I was just like walking around London being sick, like basically with morning sickness. I, have, I ran it on like basically being empty. It was horrendous. I wouldn't advise doing the London Marathon on empty. But yeah, I got through it. And I think just stage by stage, your body just kind of winds you down and this I didn't really have to think about heart rate or anything because I felt like I just found a pace and I just couldn't go past that I couldn't push myself um and I pretty much ran and rode until like yeah a couple of days before Ida was born so I felt quite lucky in that respect it was more just the morning sickness what kind of slowed me down from doing what I actually wanted to do just because I felt horrendous and just sometimes just wanted to sleep in bed all day so you mentioned that you sort of had a, a limit on how hard you could go, like you just couldn't physically push yourself past that limit. And I had this, a similar experience. I just physically couldn't make couldn't go any harder. How did you decide that that was OK? Because it's so hard to know how like the question I kept asking is, well, how hard am I allowed to go? Is this too hard? Like in your respiratory system and respiratory frequency are higher because of all the hormones the progesterone in your system so how did you know that that was okay I think just speaking to people who'd been through similar experiences like speaking to athletes that had kind of been pregnant I think that really helped me quite a lot because it gave me confidence to think that you know in life so far I've listened to my body and I've got here okay and I've I've done quite well so I think it felt like the same was happening through my pregnancy like every scan that I went to you know the baby was healthy or my bloods were always you know where they needed to be I never had any concerns and I just thought you know this is I've always been an active person and I think it'd be worse for me to stop and especially like with my mental health I don't think I'd be in a good place if I just stopped and did nothing for nine months so I just thought you know I'm going to take the risk and just yeah, just enjoy being out bike. And if I want to go for a ride on the mountain bike, I did and just listen to my body. I think it's again, coming back to that thing of just being in tune with your own body and, and kind of just, yeah, just having confidence in it. And did you do the same thing for knowing how long to go? Because like, how long am I allowed to ride for? Can I or how many hours a week can I train? Like, were those questions you asked yourself? Or did you just go based on feel? I think I just rarely went on feel. I mean, we were still living in um, Spain at the time so I had all these amazing roads that I could still go out and ride on kind of you know in that mid part of my pregnancy so I was really lucky that I could go out and just ride for two or three hours if if I felt like I had that energy to do that and yeah I think my body I, do, I just remember just my body just slowing down and just you know there came a point where I could only do an hour on the bike or 45 minutes or I could only do 30 minutes on the turbo trainer and it's like every point that I was kind of getting a bit bigger and um, like my belly obviously getting bigger like it slowed me down from you know wanting to go on my bike for two or three hours so it was just it was just all those little things and running as well I just started to get a lot more pain in my ankles when I was running and just like it it came to a point where I was like no I can't really run anymore and I'm not enjoying it. And did you set a goal for yourself like for me I set a goal that I would get out and show up six days a week did you set a goal for yourself that you had to sort of overcome resistance to do or did you always just feel motivated to get out the door? Oh, no, I definitely didn't feel always motivated. I remember that that first, I think it was probably the first 15 weeks, 15, 16 weeks. There was definitely days where I was just not motivated to go out on my bike at all, which had never really happened before. I think when I was, you know, be- before I was pregnant, 
I was always motivated to actually get out on the bike and go and train. That was never an issue. So I think it was definitely, yeah, it was never really, I just, yeah, it was just like out the door and ride 10 minutes. And yeah, I just always felt like as soon as I got out on the bike, I felt like I could keep going. So I think within pregnancy, that's one thing I really struggled with because I beat myself up a lot thinking, I don't understand it. Like, why, why don't I want to go out? And Matt kept saying, look, you're pregnant. Like, it's just your hormones. Like, just be kind to yourself. Listen to your body. Like, it's if you don't want to go out, it's no big deal. Like, it's just the way that you're feeling. And then usually it'd be like a day on, day off. So one day hmm. I wouldn't go out. And then the next day I'd feel motivated. So I would go out and I'd have more energy. And maybe that was a way of my body allowing me to do that. You know, it wouldn't let me do something on one day. So I'd save up energy so I could go do something the next. Yeah, I think that that is a really fine line and balance because as an athlete, you're used to pushing yourself. You're used to saying, okay, like, am I just being lazy? What's the reason I'm not going? And being able to not go and to over even overcome like your mind, like beating yourself up and just all this internal battle. That's a really hard thing to do. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think it was also hard because obviously having retired as well. So I was like, surely when I retire, I need to be cycling less. But then the other side of my brain was like, no, but you enjoy going on your bike. So you should go on your bike. And it's kind of like, yeah, there was a lot of changes going on when I was pregnant. You know, when I basically retired from cycling, you know, we, we were living in Belgium and Spain at the time. And we basically yeah moved two houses back to the UK. Yeah. And obviously I was pregnant and going to have a baby. So there were so many changes going on in that year. You know, Matt was away working quite a bit. Yeah, there was there were so many different kind of things I had to overcome in that pregnancy at the time. How did you change your ride position? Because you said you rode until a couple of days before Ida was born. Yeah, I put my bars up. So I basically turned my hoods up and I rode on my cross bike just because that's a little bit more upright. So it gave me, yeah, it felt like it gave me more room around my stomach area. And what else did I do? Maybe I tilted my saddle down slightly just because that kind of made it not feel as though I had much as much pressure down there when I was on the saddle. And they're the only two things really that I changed. What did you change? Uh, I bought one of those stem extenders. So I only rode my mountain bike, but it pushed the stem way, way up. So I was sitting really upright or I would ride my 170 millimeter uh, mountain bike because it's already really upright because of the nature of the what the bike is for. And I also at times had to wear one of those support bands because I gave myself pubic symphysis because I for some reason thought that I needed to be shoveling snow in the driveway. <laughs> I don't know why I thought oh, that. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was it was actually quite a bad injury and I couldn't even like push a drawer shut with my foot or getting in and out of bed was painful. So I don't recommend shoveling snow when you're pregnant. <laughs> so those are the two things. No, that, that I doesn't had to sound do. great. Yeah. Yeah. And- oh, I, I had to use I had to use one of the belly band. Well, I call it a belly band. But yeah, one of the support bands, basically. I had to use that when I was uh, running because, yeah, it just felt like it gave me a lot more support because there's so many changes going on, obviously you know, your whole position of the way that you're standing is changing. So it only makes, yeah, it only makes sense really to change your position on the bike as well. And something weird for me was I actually felt physically better and stronger in my third trimester, like still even riding outside, riding uphill than I did earlier on. That was not what I was expecting. Oh, that's amazing. I can't remember. I really can't remember much of the third trimester other than just feeling like I was just getting bigger every single day um, (laughs) and just getting slower and slower and slower. But no, your experience sounds pretty good with that. Did you have any body image problems or, you know, it's it's normal and healthy to gain weight? Like, did that mess with your mind at all? Yeah, no, that was something that like really surprised me. I think as soon as I got pregnant, it was like, all before that time, obviously, as an athlete, you're always thinking about, you know, what food you need to fuel your sessions, what you need to do to recover. You know, every day you're thinking about the training sessions that you're doing and, and kind of everything that goes along with that, you know, getting lean at certain times of, in the year. But when I was pregnant, that all just went out of the window and it just wasn't really something I thought about. I don't know whether that was another hormone thing. It just like blocked it off for me. But I just thought, OK, if I'm hungry, then I'm going to eat because this baby is obviously growing inside me and I need energy to do that. And yeah, throughout my pregnancy, I was quite sick, like with morning sickness. So a lot of the time I just, yeah, if I saw food, 
just try and eat it and then I just threw it up anyway and it was just yeah it, was, it wasn't a nice time in that kind of regards because I couldn't eat, even feel like I was eating all healthy foods because I'd just be throwing it back up again so yeah it wasn't like the whole body image thing I didn't really think about it other than yeah I just tried to embrace it. And I'm sure that it took an emotional toll to feel sick all the time how did you deal with that? Oh um, well I think that's one of the reasons actually that I kept riding my bike because that kind of allowed me to escape feeling sick. Like if I was at home, then the whole time I'd just be thinking about what can I eat? What's going to make me feel sick? What, sm- what smell is going to like start me off feeling sick? And I just want to get out of the house and kind of take my mind somewhere else to stop me thinking about it. Even though when I was on the bike, I was sick at the same time. It was just being outdoors. At least I thought, okay, then I'm doing something different. I'm doing something good for my mental health and you know just it made me a a bit happier than just sat in the house just thinking about about that morning sickness. And you mentioned that you had a positive birth story do you mind sharing it? No no definitely so yeah I think before well when I was pregnant I was just listening to so many positive like podcasts of like all different birth stories because I thought okay if I get as many positive birth stories as possible or not just positive but just like you know different birth stories then I'll maybe have a bit of an insight into what's going on at the time if if things start to happen and I come into labor like I'll kind of have something in my head to kind of think back on and think oh well that happened to that person or but I know at the time that all goes out the window but it just made me feel better (laughs) at the time (laughs) and um I read a lot about like hypnobirthing and I just love the idea of just kind of being zoned out and just kind of going with the flow, everything being as natural as it could be. That's That was like my ideal, like my dream birth. And so I didn't even think about anything really that could go wrong. I was just in that mindset of, okay, I'm going to have this baby and I need to be as calm as I can doing it. It's going to be painful, but yeah, it's only it's only temporary pain. It'll be fine. And then I'd been walking out in like a big national park by me on the yeah it was the 23rd of November and Matt my husband was with me and we was just out walking just you know going around some early Christmas markets and I started just to have more and more pain in my back and I was like this is strange like I know I feel pain every day but this feels like it's getting more and more intense like I need to go home and um yeah it was like an hour's drive home I got home had a bath and basically like I came into labour and like my waters had broke and then like I rang the hospital told them like my waters are broke you know I'm having contractions what next and they said oh like they're only like you they're quite long contractions at the minute so you don't need to come into hospital just stay at home so I just stayed at home lit some candles had all this like music on it was such like a good experience just doing all this deep breathing and it was blooming painful but I was just trying to breathe through it And then eventually, like, my contractions were getting shorter and shorter. So they said, you know, come into hospital. Um, I had a water birth. And, yeah, basically I went into hospital, I think, half ten at night. And then Ida popped out, as I say, like, half three in the morning. And just, yeah, it was obviously painful. and But everything just went really smoothly. And everything was kind of how I, I imagined it to be in the best, like, scenario. So she was healthy. I didn't need any stitches or anything afterwards. So, yeah, everything... Yeah, went as best as it could have gone. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Oh, thank you. How how's your birth? Um well, the birth that you had was the birth that I was imagining for myself as well. I did an eight-week hypnobirthing course and like home practice, all this stuff, and I wanted to have a water birth. And my son was eight days late, and the water breakage was more of like a slow leak that was let going all day long with no contractions of any kind. And then I had to take the midwife cocktail, which is like this oil, what is it, castor oil and some other stuff. And I took it and then immediately it was like someone ripping off the Band-Aid and my contractions were immediately like intense and 30 seconds apart. The longest I had in between contractions, the entire labor was one minute. So it got really, it was quite intense (laughs) and it wasn't uh, what I had imagined for myself, but yeah, it, the baby was healthy, like... I did have to have a couple of stitches, but it wasn't that big of a deal. But it wasn't the calm birthing plan that I had had, but it's all good. <laughs> yeah, as long as the baby's the baby's healthy and you're healthy at the end of it, then it's okay, isn't it? That's what I always think now. Like, if I have another baby, you know, it could go totally the opposite direction and just like everything just go out the window. So I feel very lucky that I've had that 
experience for for Ida. But yeah, who knows what the next one I'll I'll hold, like what will happen. <laughs> Hearing yours, I was like, well, after I had Bradley, I, I said to myself, I am absolutely never doing that again. That was the worst thing ever. And now the time has passed. I think, well, like maybe maybe if I do it again, it'll be different. And there's like that optimistic mindset and like hearing your story. Well, maybe it'll be like that the second time. Maybe it won't be because they, they all can be so different. They're really kind of like, I've heard so many different people say, you know, when they've had like one and then they've had the second, like the t- two totally different birth stories. You know, Like you've just said about, you know, you'd ever wanted a baby again. Like I I said afterwards, like I think within half an hour, I was like, I want 10 babies. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Even just after having Ida and the 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 lady in there, the nurse, she was like, "I think you're the first person that's ever said this." Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> but no, it was um, no, it was it was good. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy about that. And what about the healing? Even process? though it's coming painful, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah, and he, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I think you just you just block it out so quickly, don't you? Just the whole pain pain part of it. You just I think as a cyclist, you just learn to deal with pain anyway. So. Yeah, it's just on a different scale, I guess. But it's again just, yeah, it's over in in yeah so many hours. So, and what about the healing part? What was that like for you? Yeah, the I think that went quite well to be honest. It's again, I, I well, I didn't ride my bike for about six weeks. I think that was just because, yeah, I just wanted that time with Ida, and I just didn't really want to ride my bike. If I'm honest, I was walking quite a lot. Um, I think we went for a walk after like. I think I went out out the house after two days after having Ida. I can remember just saying, oh, I just need to get a bit of fresh air. You know, I'd just basically been in the house feeding Ida this whole, like the last two days, like not getting any sleep. And I just wanted some fresh air. And I remember walking out of my driveway, walking down the street on my own and having to turn around like after a few minutes because it felt like I was going to pass out because obviously you lose so much blood. And I just felt like I was just yeah gonna faint and I was on my own and I was like this is not not what I want to happen so I just kind of ran back home but then after that point I just started walking more and more with Ida and then yeah six weeks was the first time that I went on my bike um, and that was a strange feeling that first ride it felt like I was all off balance and yeah it was just strange but then actually I, I got back into it quite quickly and I actually felt quite good after after a couple of months like I felt yeah I just just felt quite normal again riding my bike that's great. Yeah, I can relate with the going for a walk. I remember I lived near a, a lake and I was walking on the sand beach with my dog and the baby. And it kind of felt like my insides were going to fall out because I don't know how to explain it, but it just it just feels not cool down there after you have a baby because everything's all stretched out. And yeah, I, I immediately got back on the paved surface after that. Yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe I think next time I'll take a rain check on like making sure somebody's with me when I go for that little walk just in case or having like a bag of Haribo or sugary sweets before it or something give me some energy <laughs> yeah that's always a good call to have those uh, ha- Haribo uh, you say Haribo Haribo yeah Haribo, Haribo right, I, yeah. I probably say it wrong so you have a coaching business and it's funny like I had seen it on your social media a lot Mudita and I kept I, and I didn't think anything about the word and then I was reading a book or listening to a podcast and I I heard that it's a Sanskrit word that means sympathetic joy. Is that where you got it from? Yeah, it is. I kind of made my own word in a way because I kind of just thought, oh, mud, cyclocross, medita, like finding the joy in in like the success of others. And I thought that's kind of really what, what I want to do. Like when I came up with that name and thinking about, you know, making a team from it first and then kind of turning it into a coaching business. So I was like, actually, that's what I really enjoy doing is kind of giving something back of what I've learned through my career and seeing other people have success um, and seeing them as like a, as happy bike riders. So I thought that kind of, yeah, it's it's a cool name. And yeah, that's how it came about. Yeah, I think that's such a, such a great name. It's so hard to pick names for your business or to even title like a blog post. And yeah, I think that's amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm happy with that. I think it's something as well that's a bit different, so it's recognizable and, yeah, people know it. Has your approach to coaching or communication changed at all since having a baby? Yeah, well, I think in that respect, it's like, you know, before I stopped cycling, I didn't really coach that much. It was like something that I'd thought about doing when I retired. It was definitely an area that I wanted to focus more on. And I I always just enjoyed, 
you know, chatting to people, chatting about their experiences and, you know, what training they're doing, you know, how they're finding their balance in their life with the cycling, you know, all those areas I've, I felt like I had a bit of a passion for. So I think the coaching really didn't take off, to be honest, until I'd had Ida. I think I was stressing out quite a bit when I was pregnant, thinking, oh, I've stopped cycling, but I want something else to do. What am I going to do? And I think I was only coaching maybe two people when I was pregnant. And I was always like, this isn't enough. I want to coach more people. And it was just taking a while to kind of build up. And I think a lot of people, you know, they're not used to having a woman as a coach. But eventually, like, word got out. And I think word of mouth, you know, it, it spread that, you know, I was coaching these, like, young riders and they were enjoying the sessions and kind of enjoying, you know, chatting with someone that's kind of been through those different things that they were going through. And now I'm coaching 15 riders and it's kind of like finding that work-life, you know, balance with looking after a rider. That's what I'm actually struggling with at the minute because I think it's hard to find those that structured, you know, time to look after athletes and find the time to call them and stuff so that's definitely been a challenge the last couple of months but I'm I'm getting better at it yeah that would be kind of finding that time and you mentioned it's not necessarily common to see female coaches what are your thoughts around that and like being a female coach what what does that mean to you yeah it's it's something that I just when I think about it like as my in my career I never had even any opportunities to work with a female coach and I don't think it's just, it's, it's strange because I think so many males are coaches in cycling. Like I, I really can't even now maybe think of more than two or three other females that I know that coach. And I think, I don't know why it is to be honest, but it kind of, it makes me even more passionate about what I'm doing because I want to inspire other women to coach and to share their experiences. And especially athletes that are kind of retiring or about to retire from the sport to stay in the sport and, you know, help young females progress and you know not just females but you know anyone of a young age you know we have so much to offer and so many experiences and I just want people to see that women are capable of doing that but yeah it's kind of disappointing that there isn't more but I'm just hoping it's going to change in the future. Yeah well you're definitely leading by example and it's so awesome that your daughter is going to grow up and is already growing up with such a badass mom. Oh thank you. Oh, that's nice. And you too, you're doing an awesome job for Bradley. Oh, thanks. How, how did you pick the name Ida? My mom's name is actually Ida. Oh, yeah. No, I don't really know any other riders. And I, that was one thing I, I just thought, I don't really want to kind of associate her with anybody else. She's just my little baby. And Ida just was one that's just stood out for me. And me and my husband, as soon as we kind of seen that name, we were like, Ida, yeah, we'll call her Ida. And that's what she is now. Every time we see her, that's just who she is. And she's, yeah, she's got the most amazing little personality and I just feel like it suits her so well. She's absolutely adorable. I love looking at pictures of her whenever you post online. Sounds all creepy. Like, I love looking at pictures, but she's so cute and she just brings so much joy when I look at her pictures. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I feel very lucky because she is such a happy baby and uh, she sleeps well and everything. Obviously, it's hard work at times, but yeah, she is just yeah, I always just think, how can you get any cuter? She's she's just, yeah, it's amazing being a mum, isn't it? You just feel like they're your little baby forever. Yeah. Well, where can people get in touch with you? And is it okay for people to reach out to you if they have questions about their pregnancy or they just want to chat? Yeah, of course. I'd love for anyone that wants to kind of shoot me a message and ask about pregnancy or, you know, coaching, anything like that. Um, they can find me Nikki Bramia on Instagram or Medita on, on Instagram. And that's or just shoot me an email. Cool. Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast after the little one is in bed. And it was so fun getting to talk to you and hear your stories. And thank you so much for everything that you're doing. You are really making a huge, huge difference out in the world. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been good to have a chat like this. I've not really spoke to anyone really about being a mom and, you know, kind of everything that goes along with it. So it's good to have the opportunity. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. I hope you guys enjoyed that amazing episode. I loved connecting with Nikki and getting to hear more of her stories. And make sure you check out Mudita Coaching and follow her on Instagram. And thank you again to our podcast sponsor, Inside Tracker, where you can take a selfie from the inside and optimize your health and performance with blood work and nutrition. And big thanks to those of you who are supporting my work financially on Patreon and PayPal. And you can donate at sanyaluni.com slash podcasts 
And while you're there, go ahead and sign up for my weekly newsletter at sonyaloney.com newsletter, where I send out my best mindset tips, journaling prompts, and other awesome, fun stuff. I hope you guys have an incredible day. Thank you so much for being part of my community. It really does mean the world to me. And I'm with you on this journey of personal growth, adventure, and our mission to be better every day.